Welcome to another edition of Now is the Time with Steve Bergson on Hebrew Nation Radio. Now is the Time is a production of MTOI, Messianic Torah Observant Israel. For more information, visit mtoi.org. Now, here's Steve. All right, so today we're going into Are You Covenanted Part 15, and we're going to begin in Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 1. Now, we have been focusing on the role of leadership and their effect on covenant keeping and their effect on the body and people's covenant keeping. And we've seen up to this point that there's been a very powerful and clear effect. When the leadership was going in a wrong direction, so did the body. When the leadership was going in the right direction, so did the body. So, or the community, or the assembly, or the nation, whatever you want to call the group of people that were in covenant. And so we see this play out. I think we're going to get a little bit more here in Nehemiah, and then we're going to switch our thinking just a little bit. So let's look at Nehemiah chapter 1 and begin in verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Chalchaligah, and it came to be in the year, excuse me, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, and that's where we're headed, right? We're almost to Kislev. In the 20th year, as I was in the citadel of Shushan, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with men from Yehuda. And I asked them concerning the Yehudim who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Yerushalayim. And they said to me, the remnant who are left of the captivity in the province are there in great evil and reproach. And the wall of Yerushalayim is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. And it came to be when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days, and I was fasting and praying before the Elohim of the heavens. And I said, I pray, Yahweh Elohim of the heavens, O great and awesome El, guarding the covenant with kind, excuse me, guarding the covenant and kindness with those who love you and with those guarding your commands. So let me stop right there. This is the key here. He's inquiring. He's seeing all these awful things are happening. He's going to step up in a leadership role here. He's contacting the leader of all leaders, the creator of the universe. And what does he say? He says, guarding the covenant, and then he links it to kindness. And we've seen this before. I'm going to emphasize it here, that the covenant is not burdensome, is not hideous, is not torturous. He's connecting it to kindness, guarding the covenant and kindness with those who love you. And so we need to understand that that's the way he sees the covenant of you do everything I say and I'll take care of you. That this is kindness. So we need to make sure that we embrace that. And notice that he's giving this, this covenant that he's guarding is with those who love you. This is not a covenant with just everybody. It's a covenant with those who choose to love him. And we're instructed to do that. Okay, we have that in many places, especially in the Shema and the Vahavta. We're to love him with all of our might, strength, and being in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And so here we have an, a, a reminder of these things. He said, he says that you are guarding, O El. He says, Yahweh, Elohim of the heavens, O great and awesome El, guarding the covenant and kindness with those who love you. And not only that, but it's only with those who are also guarding his commands. And so for all those out there that think, oh, well, so-and-so, my friend who's a believer, or my friend who's covenant, or my friend who's whatever, blah, blah, blah. If they don't guard his commands, they're not part of this equation here. This whole thing is got certain parameters linked to it. Loving him, guarding the commands. 
Now we're going to redo the teaching love in Torah. For those keeping track, that's the first teaching mentioned today. We'll see how many we mention. But love and Torah are almost always linked together. If you love me, guard the commands. That's one of those things that's always linked. It says that those who say they know him and guard not his commands are liars. And knowing is a relational thing in First John when that comes up. And so here he's linking those things. He says he's praying to Yahweh, acknowledging that he's great and awesome, that he guards the covenant with kindness and of kindness. But he does it with those who love him and those guarding his commands. And also knowing that there are people out there that are not doing this, and Nehemiah is going to be a part of trying to get people to refocus. That's the leadership role. He says, Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now day and night, For the children of Israel, your servants, that was part of the covenant that we would be serving him. Go back to Deuteronomy 10, 12. It says, and now Israel, what does Yahweh expect of us? But to fear him, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve him. That's what he expects of us. To fear him. Without the fear, we wouldn't want a covenant. Without the fear, awe and respect, reverence, we wouldn't want to do any of these things. And then we walk in his ways because that's the covenant. You do what I say, I take care of everything else. That's this Exodus 19 covenant. And then through that, we realize how much he loves us and we love him because we're responding to his love and then our desire is to serve him. So he's reminding uh, the ch- you know, Yahweh and, and he's also speaking about the children that the children of Israel are supposed to be his servants. He's praying for Day and night, night and day, the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. So this is called what? Repentance. Teshuvah. He's doing this confession of sin. Now, he's not just confessing sin for no purpose. He's confessing sin with the desire to now set things straight. We have acted very corruptly, verse 7, against you. And have not guarded the commands, nor the laws, nor the right rulings which you commanded your servant Moshe. Please remember the word that you commanded your servant Moshe, saying, now he's going to bring back that prophecy. Moses was given a prophecy. And remember how much we, every time we read that, we think how absurd, how weird. This poor people is about to cross the Jordan. They're all excited. Their all intentions are good. And he's prophesying and telling Moses. And when they screw this up, And when they mess this all up and don't obey, this is what he's reminding him. He said, please remember the word you gave Moses says, if you trespass, I should scatter you among the peoples. Okay, so that was true and it was already happening here. He says, but if you shall turn back to me and guard my commands and do them, though you were cast out to the ends of the earth, I shall gather them from there. And bring them back to this place which I've chosen to make my name dwell there. So he's bringing back to Yahweh's attention. Of course, Yahweh didn't need him to do this. But he's showing Yahweh that he was aware of the prophecy. And so, you know, when you want to do name and claim it, it's best to name and claim it something Yahweh actually said. So here, Nehemiah is recognizing they are scattered. They have trespassed the laws, the commands, the right rulings. They have been disobedient, they've acted corruptly, and now he's going to make, as a leader, a group repentance on behalf of the body and say, 
But remember what you promised. You promised that if we were to do this, now I'm guessing Nehemiah's intention is to get the people to do this. So he's saying, hey, I, I want to remind you, you said if we do this, you would bring us back. I'm going to make my effort to make sure we're doing this. I just wanted to hope and pray that you would then keep your side of it, knowing you would, to bring us back. But notice that it also includes in here, in verse 9, it's not just guarding the commands, but he wants to remind everybody that guarding them means doing them. Okay? It doesn't just mean not doing the things he says not to do, because that would be more the idea of guarding. Guarding against somebody doing something they shouldn't do. Well, there's some things that have nothing to do with shouldn't do that have everything to do with should do. Actively going ahead and doing. It's very important that we understand this. For example, you can be careful not to work on Shabbat. You can be careful to protect and guard against profaning Shabbat, but then you could also neglect the forsaking, you know, you could neglect their fellowshipping together, the assembling together. You can neglect the actively focusing on him. You can neglect all kinds of other aspects during Shabbat. Maybe you didn't do anything to break Shabbat, but are you actually, maybe you didn't delight in it. That's part of the doing, to delight in the Shabbat. Maybe you kind of, okay, I didn't break anything, but oh man, I mean, how many more minutes is this Shabbat going to last? How many more hours? See, that would be a wrong attitude. So there are lots of ways that you can guard and not do. And this is important. Okay, you can guard to make sure that you're not doing the pagan holy days and all that other nonsense, but maybe you're not doing the holy days. But you're guarding. So let's be understanding that says, but if you shall turn back to me and guard my commands and do them, that's the quote, though you were cast out to the ends of the heavens, I shall gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen. So let's understand the the, 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 the parameters here. In verse 10, And they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Yahweh, I pray, please let you your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name, your authority, and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him compassion in the presence of this man, for I was a cupbearer to the sovereign. So, because he's planning to talk to the king. Okay, he's planning to talk to the king. Now, here we see the, the idea of covenant. Now, what he's quoting here in these verses 8 and 9 is from Deuteronomy 30. So we can turn there just to read that, just to see the quote in Deuteronomy 30, and it's verses 1 through 8. And it shall be when all these words come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you shall bring them back to your heart among all the Gentiles where Yahweh your Elohim drives you, well, here's the second teaching mentioned, the heart of the matter. The heart's the issue. He says, it's not just bringing them back to your brain, to your remembrance of your memory here, so you're thinking about it, but it has to be brought back to your heart. So when these things are brought back to your heart among all the Gentiles where you're scattered or driven, and you shall turn back to Yahweh your Elohim and obey his voice, that's the covenant, according to all that I command you today, with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your excuse me, you and all your children, then Yahweh your Elohim shall turn back your captivity and shall have compassion on you and shall turn back and gather you from all the peoples where Yahweh your Elohim has scattered you. If any of you are driven out 
from the farthest parts under the heavens. From there, Yahweh or Elohim does gather you. And from there, he does take you. So you can see that Nehemiah didn't quote this word for word, but he quoted it and paraphrased it in his own words. He says, And Yahweh your Elohim shall bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. And he shall do good to you and increase you more than your fathers. And Yahweh your Elohim shall circumcise your heart and the heart of your seed to love Yahweh your Elohim with all your heart, with all your being, so that you might live. And Yahweh your Elohim shall put all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecuted you, persecuted you. And you shall turn back and obey the voice of Yahweh and do all his commands as I command you today. That's what Nehemiah is talking about right there. That's what he's talking about. And notice that the heart is at issue. The reason they did corruptly, the reason they did all the things they did is because their heart wasn't right. Their heart wasn't right. So you do want to listen to that heart of the matter teaching over and over again. But it's 64 parts. I get that. But it's the real problem. You want to spend all your time. You're going to still listen to 64 teachings or 64 things anyway. You might as well listen to the one that's dealing with the biggest problem, your heart. So why not go ahead and do that? Because that is the problem. And he says it very clearly in his own words. When you get your heart right and turn back to me, then I'll go ahead and get you taken care of and bring you back to the land. But we got to get our hearts right. And so again, you can see this is a leadership thing. The people were going in this corrupt direction. It was going to take someone like Nehemiah to step up in a leadership role and say, this has got to change. We've got to stop going in this wrong direction, turn around and do things right. Now, you don't see the people spontaneously figuring this out. It's with leadership's help and leadership's guidance. Let's go now to Psalms. We're going to spend the rest of today in the Psalms. Tehillim 25, Psalm 25. You're going to read a bunch of verses here. Now, what we're going to see a lot in the Psalms I'm going, to, I'm going to read a lot of verses and stuff that you may be like, oh, yeah, well, blah, blah, blah. It's in your Bible. It was inspired by the Creator to be in your Bible. Never, ever be like, oh, blah, blah, blah. But I know sometimes we can do that. Because we're not doing it because we don't like what's written. We're doing it because, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before five million times. Well, Yahweh said it. You're going to read a lot of stuff in the Psalms that Yahweh said here. He said it in the prophets. He said it when it happened in Exodus or in Deuteronomy. He repeats himself a lot, doesn't he? And so we shouldn't be like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Guard your heart against that. We're going to read a lot of verses here in the Psalms because in the Psalms, he starts to work on our heart by reminding us that covenant is linked to, or let me rephrase that. Our focus, our ability, our commitment to keep covenant is often linked to how much we remember what he's done. Reminding us of how awesome he is, how much mercy he's shown us, all the miracles he did, and we have all of those examples. And you're going to see that through the Psalms, that the psalmist is going to be reminding the linkage of covenant to all of what Yahweh has done and has promised to do. And so we're going to go through that quite a bit here, starting in Psalm 25. And we can begin in verse 8. Good and straight is Yahweh. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. He guides the meek ones in right ruling, and he teaches the meek ones his way. All the paths of Yahweh are kindness and truth. Chesed the emet. Kindness and truth. Now, 
understand how this is starting out. We are trying to get our mind wrapped around the right focus. Yahweh is good. Yahweh is straight. All his paths are kindness and truth. Not all paths, all his paths are kindness and truth. And he does what? He teaches sinners in the way. Aren't we all sinners? And so he teaches us. If we're going to be meek, humble, and ready to receive. He teaches those that are meek. Meek, I've talked about having an idea of a quiet strength. But it also has the idea of being able to receive. Being correctable. Being instructable. And that's really important here. Because he says, all the paths of Yahweh are kindness and truth. To who? To those who guard his covenant and his witness. If you're going to guard his covenant and his witness, all those paths connected to his covenant and his witness are chesed ve'emet. Kindness and truth. This is very important that we embrace this and understand. He's talking about covenant here in the context of being meek, receiving his teaching, starting off as a sinner, but understanding that Yahweh is good, Yahweh is straight, Yahweh's paths are kindness and truth, but it's about covenant keeping. It's to those who guard his covenant and his witnesses. What are his witnesses? Well, we're guarding over and remembering everything he's done. All those things are witnesses to how great and mighty he is. That actually they're witnesses to just him being in exi- that he exists. These things witness that he exists. Witnesses to who he is and what he's doing and who he's doing it with. What his plans are, what his purposes are. He tells us the end from the beginning. Verse 11. For your namesake, O Yahweh, you shall pardon my crookedness, though it is great. See, he pardons our crookedness for his sake, not for your sake. And he's talking about those who are covenanted. He said, I make a covenant with you. And that also has to do with the part of that covenant is if you do make a mistake, you make teshuvah, you turn around, you get back on the path. He says, so you pardon my crookedness, For your sake, for your name's sake, though it is great. Who then is the man that fears Yahweh? He teaches him in the way he should choose. The one who fears Yahweh is the one who is teachable by Yahweh. Be careful with the punctuation some Bibles put in there. It doesn't always fit in appropriately. He says, who then is the man that fears Yahweh? The one that he teaches in the way he should choose. Because if you don't fear him, you're not going to be teachable by him. You're not even going to be seeking him. You're not fearing him. You don't have awe and reverence and, and, and that kind of a, a fear that comes from a fear of disappointing. So then why would you be teachable if you weren't in that place in your heart and in your mind? He says, his life dwells in good and his seed inherits the earth. This is the man that fears Yahweh. The secret of Yahweh is with those who fear him and he makes his covenant known to them. Okay, so we talked about this verse in the teaching, the fear of Yahweh. The fear of Yahweh is with those who, excuse me, the, the secret of Yahweh is with those who fear him. You want to understand his secrets? You have to be fearing him. He reveals these things to those who fear him. And by the way, he doesn't necessarily reveal it to you directly. He reveals it by leading you through a process of finding anointed, appointed leadership and teachers. He reveals these things to you. Just like when you were in the world, or you were in the church, or you were in wherever you were, and he revealed the secrets of, hey, 
I exist and the law exists and it's relevant. Hey, Saturday's the day, not Sunday. Hey, guess what? Christmas and Easter are pagan. Hey, guess what? Maybe you ought to be eating different. See, he reveals these things to you. He opens your eyes. He opens your ears. He opens your heart to receive. But who's he revealing it to? Those who are going to make a covenant with him. The secret of Yahweh is to those who fear him, and he makes his covenant known to them. He's going to make you know about the covenant so that you can choose to covenant. He reveals himself. We saw this in one of the other parts we talked about, seeing the ark, right? Seeing it and then responding in the way we did. Here you have the same thing. He's going to open your eyes and your ears and your heart because you have fear and reverence and awe. He's going to teach you his ways. He's going to go ahead and give you the secrets and he's going to let you know that there's a covenant that you can make. He's going to make known to you that there's a covenant. Verse 15, my eyes are ever toward Yahweh for he brings my feet out of the net. When you get into a a trap, a problem, a situation, are your eyes always on Yahweh? Are you trying to figure it out yourself or go to your friends and other people look for help? He says, my eyes are always toward Yahweh because he's going to bring my feet out of the net. He's going to lead me to the right person, to the right place, but I'm focusing on him, not focusing on the horizontal. I'm not focusing on people. I'm going to focus on him and he'll lead me to the right people and the right answers. Turn your face to me and show me favor. There's that word, chen. We'll go ahead and mention now the search for the doctrine of grace. That's the word that's translated grace in a lot of Bibles. Turn your face to me and show me favor, for I am lonely and afflicted. The distresses of my heart have enlarged. Oh, bring me out of my distresses. Look on my affliction and my toil and forgive all my sins. See how many my enemies have become, and they hate me with violent hatred. Oh, guard my life and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I have taken refuge in you. Let integrity and straightness guard me, for I have waited for you. Redeem Israel, O Elohim, out of all his distresses. So let's kind of wrap this up a little bit here. Let's kind of break this down and then wrap it up. He says, look on my affliction. I've had all these enemies. I've got all this distress. All this hate and violent hatred is toward me. Guard my life. Deliver me. And then he says something interesting. He says, let me not be ashamed. You're going to have to stand up and declare who you are and who you serve. While you're in the midst of facing people that are hating you for what you believe and what you serve. What you believe in who you serve. So don't be ashamed. There's another teaching. Let me not be ashamed. Keep that in line. We can see we set a record today. We'll name all the teachings. Let me not be ashamed. In other words, don't be embarrassed to put on your seat seat. Don't be embarrassed to tell your bosses, I'm sorry, but I can't work. You know, we had a little point during the prayer time where one of the members here said that I work at a fast food place. The fast food place wanted everybody to wear, you know, seasonal shirts that were Christmas related. And I said, I can't do that. And stood up for it without shame. And you know what? They gave her a different shirt to wear. But you have to stand up. Oh, but what if they had fired her? Well, they might have. They could have. They could have said, nope, you have to do it. If you don't do it, you're fired. Many places would do that. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Stand up, but do it gently and quietly and just say, I'm sorry, but I can't do that. Don't get angry like, well, I can't wear that shirt. What's wrong with you? Don't you know that's pagan? No, just say, you know, 
hopefully at that point you've already talked a little bit about your beliefs with your employers to know that you can't do certain things on Saturday or on holy days, etc. Say, look, this is one of those things I just can't do. Okay? And over time, they will start to realize it, and then they'll stop asking you. They'll stop asking you to do things if you've, if you've actually been successful going forward. Now, you still may be successful in making your stand, but they may choose to fire you anyway. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Because he said, look, guard my life. Deliver me. All these people hate me and everything. Let me not be ashamed, for I have taken refuge in you. Taking refuge means I trust you to take care of me, protect me, no matter what happens, even no matter what it looks like, I'm not going to let go. I'm going to hold on to you. And then in verse 21, it links it all together and ties it together with the word tam, which we say tam or tamim means integrity. Here it's translated in the scriptures as integrity. Let integrity and straightness guard me. Now some translations might have like let perfection. Well, that would be the word that's um Translated perfection a lot, or perfect. Like when it says, be perfect as your Father in heavens is perfect. It's the same word, okay? Here, it's better translated as integrity. So, when you stand up and you have no shame about defending where you are and saying, I can't do this. I hate to quote Balaam, but you should be able to say, I'm sorry, but I cannot go beyond what Yahweh has told me. As bad a guy as Balaam ended up being, at least at one time he said, I cannot go beyond the word of Yahweh. That's something you should be able to say if you have to. Someone says, but I need you to do this. And you say, I appreciate that, I understand, but I cannot go beyond the word of my creator. And the way I understand it, he doesn't want me doing this stuff. Have integrity and straightness and let that be what guards you. Let integrity and straightness guard me, for I have waited for you. That's the other part of it. Go back to understanding that you must wait on him. Be still and see the integrity. See the deliverance. See that Yahweh, is a, a, he keeps his word. Wait on him. See, that was part of the fear of Yahweh teaching. We went to them, the Israel at the, at the sea before it parted. They didn't know it was going to part. You did. You've already seen the movie, read the story and everything else. And they were really afraid. And he said, stop being afraid. Wait on Yahweh. Be still. So that hopefully all ties together here. And you can see how it's linked to covenant. Because he brought that together in verse 10 and in verse 14. In verse 10, he talks about how all the paths of Yahweh are kindness and truth to those who guard his covenant. And in verse 14, he says, the secrets of Yahweh is with those who fear him. And he makes a covenant known to them. He makes the covenant known to them. But this is all about knowing who you're dealing with and coming into a proper relationship with the one that you're dealing with. That's where it all comes down to, is that relational stuff. Okay, let's go to Psalm 78. Tehillim, Psalm 78. Really, it should be Mizmore 78. It's a word for Psalm. Okay. And we're going to read a big chunk of this one, so hopefully this we'll get this done. It might take the whole rest of the teaching here. We're going to begin in verse 1 in Psalm 78. My people, give ear to my Torah. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I open my mouth in a parable. I utter riddles of old, which we have heard and known, for our fathers have related them to us. Okay, so starting off, he says, look, 
Give ear, listen, pay attention to the Torah. Very important. Incline your ears towards my mouth. This goes back to, this is covenantal language. I'm going to speak, you need to listen. He said, we're going to listen to, he says, I open my mouth in parables and utter riddles of old. So he speaks in parables. We have that, excuse me, we have that in many places where he says, I speak in parables. But I make them known to my people, to my children. Riddles of old, he said, for our fathers have related them to us. We've heard and we have known, so we've understood them. Verse 4, we do not hide them from their children. Relating to the generation to come, the praises of Yahweh and his strength and his wonders, which he has done. For he raised a witness in Yaakov and set a Torah in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach them to, our, to their children. So here's the process. He says, look, pay attention to the Torah, the instruction. He says, now again, the word Torah doesn't have to be there per se. Pay attention to my instructions, my teachings. Incline your ears to it. We need to know the things from ancient times, the ancient paths. And they're supposed to be passed from generation to generation with understanding. The problem is we get to the New Testament and we read verses like our fathers have inherited lies. We've been, we've been given strong delusion. Apparently we dropped the ball somewhere in the past in passing things down from generation to generation. Thankfully, we have it written down, though, so we can see all these things and have it for available for us. Continuing, he says, he raised a witness in Yaakov and said, a Torah in Israel. Now, of course, Yaakov and Israel are synonymous here. He likes to use these things poetically to say the same thing. But he's telling you that the role of Yaakov, of Israel, is to be a witness and to bear his Torah, to walk out the Torah. He set the Torah in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to our children. <clears throat> so the children were supposed to be taught about witnessing. I don't mean witnessing like in a Christian way. I'm about being the witness of being that, that city placed up on the hill, the light to the world. By walking this out and sharing that witness. By When people ask, you're prepared to give an answer. Not for you to go and knock on the door and cause them to ask questions. But when, when they do ask, you're ready. And you can give witness. Okay, we heard a little bit of that during the prayer time, how Nate's had that happen at work, where people have asked questions and he shared some information, and some of them went and looked it up and said, okay, that sort of makes sense. Now, he's not pestering them. They're coming and asking him. And so that's what you need to be ready for. He says, verse 6, all of this is so that it might be known to a generation to come, to children who would be born, to rise up and relate them to their children. And so there's forethought here, eventually leading to us. That there would be at some point a generation that would be to come. Children would be born to rise up and, be, and relate to their children. Now, the word them there is in italics, so it's the word doesn't actually exist in the Hebrew there. But to rise up and relate to their children. It's interesting how that, if you take the word them out, that's an interesting different problem. Parents or a generation relating to their children and having the children relate to them. What are we told is sort of the, um, the Elijah thing, turning the hearts of the fathers to the children, the children to the fathers, fathers to the children. It's, this is the same kind of thing going on here. Relating 
But this, this relating then goes into verse 7, and placing their trust in Elohim, and not forgetting the works of El, but watch over his commands, and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. So he said, look, these things are supposed to be passed down, so eventually a children generation, a young generation, not necessarily by age, but a young new generation would come up and get called into and relate to all this stuff, and that the, we would then be able to relate to these children who would then not act like their fathers. Because a lot of you have parents that are not in this. Most of you probably. He says, not to be like their father, stubborn and rebellious. A generation which did not prepare its heart, whose spirit was not steadfast in hell. There's more heart of the matter issues. You have to prepare your heart for this. How do you prepare your heart for this? Well, how about cleaning house and getting all the junk out of it first? Getting all those things that you want, you desire, you, you crave out of it so that you can desire and crave all the right things. A generation which did not prepare its heart, whose spirit was not steadfast to hell. Now, when we say spirit there, we're talking about the spirit in man. The spirit in man or the heart of man is what? At enmity, at odds with Yahweh's. It's desperately sick, wicked, who can trust it, who can know it. He said that spirit in man was not steadfast towards El. You've got to get control over your spirit to guide it and focus it, to be in line with, to harmonize with the spirit of the Ruach, spirit of Elohim, the Ruach HaKodesh. The children of Ephraim, armed bowmen, turned back in the day of battle. They did not guard the covenant of Elohim. They refused to walk in his Torah. They forgot his deeds and his wonders which he had shown them. He did wonders in the sights of their fathers in the land of Mitzrayim, in the field, and so on. He split the sea and caused them to pass through. He made the water stand up like a heap. He led them with a cloud by day and all night with the light of fire. He split the rocks in the wilderness and made them drink as from great depths and brought forth streams from the rock and caused waters to come down as rivers. Yet they sinned still more against him to rebel against the Most High in the desert. And they tried El in their heart by asking food according to their desire. And they spoke against Elohim. They said, is El able to set a table in the wilderness? Look, he struck the rock so that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Is he able to give bread also? Would he provide meat for his people? I want us to look for ourselves in this. Because one of the words that comes to my mind is, you spoiled little... (laughs) How can you have experienced all that and it's not enough? See, this is why during the Passover meal, singing the song Dayenu is actually so important. Because Dayenu means it would have been sufficient, it would have been enough. And the song goes through the, if he had brought us out of Egypt and not done anything else, it would have been enough, Dayenu. If he had brought us out of Egypt and then brought us through the wilderness and through the sea, that would have been enough. If he brought us through the sea and not brought us to Mount Sinai, it would have been enough. If he brought us to Sinai and not given us the Torah, it would have been enough. If he gave us the Torah and not brought us to the land, it would have been enough. But we're never satisfied. And so can we actually say Dayenu in our lives? Can we say I am satisfied. You know, we go through the Deuteronomy 8. When we finish eating, we go, have you eaten in your, are you satisfied thing? Because we should be satisfied. 
and appreciate who gives us all these things. I mean, they could have still been slaves in Egypt. They could have been. One of the things that the, the Jewish tradition in their book called the Haggadah, which they used to go through the, the ceremony of the Passover meal, is that when the children ask what's going on, they say, this is what the creator did for me when I came out of Egypt. And had he not done so, we would still be slaves today. That's an acknowledgement of saying, this is what he did for me. You've got your own testimony. You've got your own miracles, your own signs, your own witnesses to the things that he's done in your life. But how quickly do we get to the, oh, but I don't have and I want and I'm, I'm suffering need and craving and desiring stuff instead of realizing how much you have and taking joy in that. I mean, that's really one of those things. How can, you know, can we get to that place? You know, I mentioned briefly that, you know, I had an opportunity to go on Black Friday and get a new phone really cheaply. Guess what? It didn't work out. I could get upset about that, or I could realize my phone still works just fine. And if I want to buy a new one and pay more, it's okay. Why should I get upset about that, though? I mean, I have what I need. But there are those that would have gotten upset if they missed out on that special deal or whatever. I was only upset that I wasted time sitting when I could have been doing something else. But even then, I didn't really lose anything, so I let that go too. Nothing horrible happened, nothing was lost. In other words, that's just one of those small things. But you know what? How many times do we get really upset about a small thing like that? Somebody breaks something in your house. Some food gets ruined because you got distracted when you're cooking. So what? It's not what you desired. It's not ideal, but it's not that awful either. You know, we, you know, um, I remember watching a motivational speaker one time and he was talking on a week long event where he had millionaires basically there. And he was asking them about some of their struggles with feeling successful. And he asked one guy and he said, well, what do you need to be in your life so that you would feel successful? Well, I've got to own this many businesses and have this much in the bank and have this much. He had this long list of things. And the instructor was like, well, no wonder you have trouble feeling successful. You've got, you set up these really hard rules, you know. And he asked the next guy and he said, what do you need to feel successful? And he said, every day above ground is successful. <laughs> Guess what? He feels successful every day. Every day I wake up is successful. He doesn't have any hard rules to feel successful. Some of you fall into this trap. You won't feel happy or joy or successful or whatever it is, satisfied, until your little list gets met. And so you're miserable and you're frustrated and you're depressed and you are dealing with anxiety because you can't find that place. This is what these Psalms are about. Can you get to that place of saying, I am so blessed in my life right now. Oh, I'm broke, and my car doesn't work, and I might have just lost my job, and I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow, but I'm blessed. I'm blessed. And I know my Creator, if I stand in that integrity of my belief and my confidence and wait on Him, will provide all those things. And you know why I know that? Because He's done it before. And most of you have been in this thing long enough, you've lived life long enough, that this is not your first rodeo, so to speak. 
You've been through that hard place and he's provided from that hard place. None of you ended up either diseased or in jail or dead from those things that came up. Now, some of you gave really good testimony. There was one good testimony that I want to just mention indirectly from Thanksgiving. Where, and I know this person maintained a really good attitude through the whole thing. I'm not sure all of the family members always did, but that's because it's hard. But, you know, there are those that have lost jobs, lost all of their savings, only to get a job and have it all replenished and then some. But it was a long time coming and it was, uh, it was a, a potential suffering and panic that could feed in. I don't know what everybody did in the family, so I'm not saying anybody did or didn't, but I just know that that's one of those things that if you can hold through, that's why we have the book of Job. Everything was taken away from him, but he was given everything double later. But what did Job do? He stood steadfast and trusting that somehow this was going to make sense, that Yahweh was going to make it make sense. But you, now that you've been through that, and the, and the person knows who I'm talking about who went through that, There's no way that it'll be any harder if it ever happened again because you've seen it happen. And those who've heard that testimony should say, oh, if it happened for him, it could happen for me. And all of you have those testimonies. Hey, hang in there. Yah will provide. This is my testimony. Because as far as I know, not very many of you were out on the street. And some of you that have been on the street are no longer on the street. Because some of you have been. He does provide. Some of you, like myself, I mean, I was single a long time. Yah eventually provided. Some of you have been single longer than I was single. Yah has provided or will provide. Maybe he's going to provide you with the shalom knowing that single is fine. But we have to learn, this is like what Paul said, to be whatever state I'm in, to be okay. To be satisfied in whatever state I'm in. That's a lot of what's going on here in this psalm. This is about covenant. What is the covenant? If you do what I say, I will take care of everything else. But that doesn't mean that you'll never have that moment where you feel like, "Uh uh-oh, how am I going to make it now? Because you see throughout the book, there's tons of that where the people face, oh, wow, how are we going to get past this? How is this going to work out okay somehow? We always use that example being at the sea. There's no way they were thinking, well, you know, if you just go ahead and part that sea already, we can get on with this. They weren't thinking that. There's no way. You're thinking it because we know what happened. But if you ever could imagine reading that for the first time, or just go find someone who's never heard that story, have them read it for the first time, and ask them, what do you think is going to happen? There's no way they're going to come up with, well, God's going to create a a wind that's going to blow and separate the sea and they're going to walk through on dry land. There's no way they come up with that. Yah's going to come up with answers there's no way you're going to come up with. But that's part of his covenant. If you're going to covenant, he says, I will take care of you. Now, he didn't say at what level of caring. He didn't say you're all going to be in palaces and living like kings and have gold flowing out of your belly buttons. He did say, you will have what you need. I will take care of your needs. Of course, we have what I've talked about many times. What do we have? We have a terrible needs, wants, disconnect. We, don't have, we have a hard time separating a need from a want. Well, I need a new car. No, you need something to get you to work and to the store. And he'll provide what you need. He might provide you with a new car. 
But you don't need it to be a new car. You need it to be something that will get you to or from work. See, be careful how we word these things in our hearts and in our minds, this idea of what we need versus what we want. You need shelter. You need food. Generally speaking, you need transportation of some sort because of the way the world is laid out at this point. Everything isn't so compact that you can walk to everything. We don't have a whole lot of needs. Okay. What verse did I leave off on? Verse 20. Look, he struck the rock so that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Is he able to give bread also? Would he provide meat for his people? Okay, that's where we finished. So here they are. They had water. Now they want bread. He gives them bread. Then they want meat. Now, that's not to say that he wasn't going to give them these things anyway. But they had no patience for it. They were whining and complaining. And it's not just that he gave them water. He gave it to them in a miraculous way. He took bitter waters and turned them sweet. He gave them water out of, a, out of a stony rock, gushing out. And then he provided them with bread in a very miraculous way. Oh, but these things are not enough. Therefore Yahweh heard, and he was wroth. Why was he mad? Because he wants us to do the covenant part. What's the covenant that they made? We'll do everything you say. We trust you to provide everything else. They weren't doing their part. They were not trusting him to do everything else. They may have been obeying and following his word and doing what he said, but they weren't trusting him. And even when he provided the bread, they didn't trust him and obey because they went and gathered when they shouldn't have. And so it turned to have worms in it and stuff. It became all no good. So he was wroth and he kindled a fire against Yaakov. And the displeasure also came up against Israel because they did not believe in Elohim. Neither did they trust in his deliverance. They didn't believe in him. They didn't trust him. They probably on some level believed what they'd already seen and what he'd already done, but they weren't counting on it for the future. That's the trap we fall into. That's the big warning from today's message. I didn't know what it was going to be until just now, but that's the big warning. Do not get to that place where you start doubting that he will continue to do what he's already done for you. You know what he's done. That's why we're reading all these things telling you what he's done. But somehow that doesn't seem to take enough root for us to believe that he will continue to do it. And you know what? He's going to let you get what we call a pop quiz. He'll give you a pop quiz. He's going to let some things befall you that look pretty challenging, that look like you're going to suffer, and he wants to see if you're going to count on him, rely on him to provide. Verse 23. Yet he had commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of the heaven. Even though he was mad, even though he's disappointed, he rained down manna on them to eat, and he gave them the grain of the heavens, Men ate bread of the mighty. He sent the provisions of satisfaction. He made an east wind blow in the heavens, and by his power he brought in the south wind. And he rained meat on them like dust, and winged birds like the sand of the seas, and let them fall in the midst of his camp all around his dwelling place. So they ate and were completely satisfied. For he brought them what they desired. They had not turned away from their desire. Their food was still in their mouths. When the wrath of Elohim came against them and he slew them among their fat ones and he struck down their choice ones of Israel. In spite of all this, so what's the lesson in that? You whine and complain and get what you want. It may not always be a good thing. Children, 
Pay attention to that. Some of you whine and complain and you want your parents to give, give, give. I want, I need, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? Maybe the reason they said no is because it's not good for you. Maybe they know something you don't know. Actually, I promise you, children, you will be astounded as you get older to realize how much you don't know. You will be absolutely mind-blown to realize how much your parents actually do know. (laughs) Said one parent looking over towards her son. Okay, so I got a big uh uh-huh. But you will. You'll grow up and then you'll start parenting and you'll realize you sound just like your mother or your father. And you realize there's no helping it because your children are going to do to you what you did to them. And by the way, all of you need to know that the mother's curse does work. You all know what that curse is. May you have one just like you. Any mom ever said that? Oh, yeah. I hope you have one just like you. Children, do not do this. Do not look them in the eye and in a wise guy attitude go, I hope I have two. I did that. Big mistake. Okay. Um, don't be a wise guy when that comes. Oh, yeah, well, I hope I got all my kids are just like me. Don't, don't ask that. Bad idea. All right? One day, if you, ever eat my, if you ever meet my mother, you can ask her if I did call her when my children were two and three. And the first words I said was to my mother, I said, I'm sorry. She goes, what are you sorry for? Everything. What do you mean? Just everything I ever did. Why? That curse thing, can you take it away? And then all she did was that. She laughed her head off. She goes, oh, no, this is going to be fun. I'm going to watch. She got some popcorn out so she could watch. Okay. All right. But that's, that's the, but the, see, it's not really the mother's curse. It's, it's reaping and sowing. It's really the way Yahweh made it to be. And realize that, children. Your children are going to be just like you. And mom and dad, who are going to be grandparents, are going to kick back and smile and enjoy every minute of it. Because that revenge and payback is delicious. Okay? Abba does the same thing watching us. We reap what we sow. But he doesn't want us to be foolish and get hurt. He wants us to learn the lessons and avoid all that. So part of the lesson is that we have to realize just how much we don't know. Just how ignorant, stupid, foolish, unwise. You put the word in you want. We're just plain dumb as dirt. In the areas where we think we know better than everybody. We're just dumb as dirt. And so in life, even as adults, we should be going through the process of recognizing how much we still don't know. Remember the game we play often, the have you ever been wrong game? Remember that game. We've all been wrong. And we've all been wrong about things that we knew that we knew that we knew when we were still wrong. And how embarrassing was it when you realized you were wrong? Because usually you got in somebody's face, probably your spouse or another family member or a coworker or something, and you were so adamant only to have egg on your face, so to speak, because you were wrong. And so that should bring us a lot of humility and a lot more reluctance to be letting, pull those words back in our mouths before they come flying out. Because they don't taste real good when you have to eat them. Okay? Because they did not believe in Elohim, nor did they trust in his deliverance. That's our problem. Even though the signs and wonders have been done in our lives, and we read the books, and we've seen all these things. Yet he commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down the bread on them. He gave them everything to satisfaction. Let me skip forward back to where I finished here. 
Um, let's see, verse 30. They had not turned away from their desire. The food was still in their mouths, and the wrath of Elohim came against them, and he slew them, the fat ones, those that were all like, oh, finally, I got what I wanted. Be careful with that. So he ended their days in a breath and their years in trouble. I'll then go back to 32, actually. In spite of all this, they still sinned, and they did not believe in his wonders. How stubborn are we? How stubborn are we? So he ended their days in a breath and their years in trouble. When he slew them, then they sought him. <laughs> At the end, finally, they're seeking him. And they returned and did earnestly seek Elohim. And they remembered that Elohim was their rock and the Most High El, their Redeemer. But they flattered him with their mouth and they lied to him with their tongue. For their heart was not steadfast with him. And they were not true to his covenant. You see that happens a couple of places here. The idea of being steadfast and having integrity. We read that in the other psalm, having that integrity. They were not steadfast with him, and they were not true to the covenant. What part weren't they true to? Probably both to some degree. They weren't doing what he said, and they weren't trusting and believing in him for the provision. 38, but he, the compassionate one, pardoned crookedness. He did not destroy them, and many a time he turned his displeasure away and did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a passing breath that does not return. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. And again and again they tried El and provoked the set-apart one of Israel. They did not remember his hand the day when he redeemed them from the adversary. How he worked his signs in Mitzrayim and his wonders in the field and so on. And he turned their rivers into blood and they could not drink the streams. And he sent among them swarms of flies which devoured them and frogs which destroyed them. He gave their crops to the caterpillar and their labor to the locust. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamore trees with frost and gave their beasts over to the hail, their livestock to bolts of fire. He sent on them the burning of his displeasure, wrath and rage and distress a, uh, a deputation of messengers of evils. He made a path for his displeasure. He did not spare their being from death. He gave their life over to the plague. And he smote all their firstborn in Mitzrayim, the first fruits of strength in the tents of Ham, and then made his own people go forth like sheep and led them in the wilderness like a flock and led them on safely. And they did not fear. I'll stop right there. So what do you see happening here? He's reminding them. He said he had compassion on them, even though they did all these things. And he, you know, because remember, they had messed up just to end up as slaves in Egypt. We don't have the whole story, but they did. And so he remembered them. He remembered that they were just little children. Sometimes we get so mad at our children when they get older and forget that they're still children. Even though how we would have thought of them when they were three and four and five differently than when they're 14, 15 and 16. But they're still children. They still don't know what they're doing. They just think they know what they're doing more than they did when they were three and four and five. And so he also, it doesn't mention here, he remembered a promise he had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he would not destroy this people completely, but that there would always be a people to eventually be, so Abraham would be the father of many goyim, many nations, that they would be a light to many nations, that through them, through that seed, all men might have an opportunity to be saved. And so that promise was in there too. It's not mentioned in the psalm here, but that was part of the reason why he turned away his displeasure. Because it was part of promises. 
And he says, look, he led them on safely, verse 53, and they did not fear. Well, up to a point, but the sea covered their enemies. Now, when they got to the sea, though, they did fear, didn't they? There were many moments where they would start to fear. But then leadership calmed them down. Now, when Moses, the good leader, was away, the mice played, didn't they? Okay? The leadership was away, and so bad leadership or a vacuum of leadership created an opportunity for bad leadership, and they made a golden calf and did all these other things. Verse 54, And he brought them to the border of the set-apart place, the mountain which his right hand had gained, and drove out nations before them, and allotted them a measured inheritance, and made the tribes of Israel dwell in their tents, Yet they tried and rebelled against the Most High Elohim and did not guard his witnesses. By guarding his witnesses, it's saying, look, I did all these things and you forgot. You're not remembering. You're not holding on to it because your behavior shows that you're not. But they turned back and acted treacherously like their fathers. They twisted like a treacherous bow. I want to go back to Verse 36, you know, again, this is the same process over. They flatter him with their tongue and they lied with their tongue. In other words, they only said what they needed to say. And again, they're doing it here in verse 57 because they just want the problem to go away. Not because they really have changed their hearts. Not because they really have made teshuvah or fully repented. They just want the issue to be solved. So they're going to say whatever they have to say to make it work. Some of you have children that have done that to you many times. They'll say whatever they need to say to convince you, and then off they go doing the same thing, whatever they want to do. Be careful about receiving flattering words. I want to see it in action. I don't want to just hear it. Let's continue. He says, They acted treacherously like their fathers. Verse 58, For they enraged him with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their carved images. When Elohim heard this, he was wroth and greatly displeased or greatly despised Israel, And he left the dwelling place of Shiloh, the tent which he had set among men. And he gave his strength into captivity and his comeliness into the hand of the adversary and gave his people over to the sword. And he was wroth with his inheritance. His young men were consumed by fire and his maidens were not praised. His priests fell by the sword and their widows could not weep. Then Yahweh awoke as one asleep, as a mighty man with shouts because of wine. And he smote his adversaries backwards and put them to an everlasting reproach. Then he rejected the tent of Yosef and did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Yehuda, Mount Zion, which he loved. And he built his set-apart place like the heights, like the earth he founded it forever. So you see what's going on here is that they're not paying attention. They're not keeping it as frontless before their eyes. They're not remembering who they're dealing with and what he's done already for them and in history to, the, to our ancestors. And so ultimately, the inheritance went to Joseph and through Joseph to Ephraim. And he says he had to reject them and scatter them and choose Yehuda. And he chose David, his servant, and he took him from the sheepfolds and he brought him in from tending the sheep from tending to use to shepherd Yaakov, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So notice that he mentions all of Israel here, not just Judah, that David is to shepherd all Israel, and he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and led them by the skill of his hands. So we see, again, leadership being brought in here. So when I said we were done looking at leadership and covenant, I was wrong. Still, it's a leadership issue. Joseph's lineage 
through Ephraim had dropped the ball. And so David was then chosen. And, the, and it was told that the king would then come always from David. And we're told that the, a teacher, a lawgiver, would never depart from the feet, from between the feet of Yehuda. We're told that in Genesis, as we understand these things. So let's understand going forward. So in this psalm, hopefully we're getting, starting to see the beginnings of a reminder that covenant, to keep it, is not just obeying his voice. We talked about that a lot in the first 14 parts of this. It's about following and obeying, following and obeying. But now we're seeing the other side of it and believing and trusting and counting on him to do his part. He did offer in the covenant, if you obey my voice, I will take care of everything else. We have to do the obeying, but we also have to trust in his side that he's going to do his side. Do we have the amunah, the faith, the trust, the belief that he will do his part as he has promised? This is all a heart issue. How, how do you really think about him in your heart? Do you really love him with everything? Do you trust him with everything? Do you panic and try to figure everything out on your own strength and, and other people's strength? Where, where are you in here in your heart? And that's what the covenant's all about. You may want to do this exercise. Maybe write down and remind yourself all the things he's done for you, that he's done for his people, that he's already promised to do in the future and see how much you really believe it and keep reading it and studying it and reminding yourself until you embrace it fully. Because we're going to read a lot more in the rest of the Psalms that we're going to cover here about reminders of what he has already done and reminders of what he will be doing. And we need to embrace those things. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and Father, we so appreciate having the Psalms and having the, the books like Nehemiah, etc., all these writings to remind us of all the incredible, powerful, mighty, loving, compassionate, patient things that you've done for your people, including when you've been caustic and, and harsh towards them with the idea of waking them up and getting them to make teshuva. Because even then, you were being loving because what father who loves his son doesn't chastise and correct them, as you tell us in Deuteronomy. So, Father, we come to you now appreciating the love that you have, the strength of your steadfastness and integrity to go forward always on your part and the high expectation you have for us to keep our part. Put in us a new heart. Help it, cause in us to see and understand how to change our hearts so that we can fully obey and fully trust you in all things. Father, that should be and is the desire of our hearts, that we would truly be focused and in shalom at the same time, that we would do what we need to do in full peace, shalom, and trust and understanding that you will do your part and that we would walk without any fear at all. So, Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we ask all of this. In the name above all names, who said all the examples we needed to see before us, Yeshua our Messiah. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to Now is the Time with Steve Berkson here on Hebrew Nation Radio. Now is the Time Radio is a production of MTOI, Messianic Torah Observant Israel. For more information, visit mtoi.org.